I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health and fitness industry to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. Hello, welcome back to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. I'm Leanne Spencer. I'm your host, and my guest this week is the co-founder of Shine Offline. That's shineoffline.com. And it's Laura Willis. Laura Willis is a graduate of social psychology, and she had a very successful career in, in PR before having a burnout that she attributes largely to her use of technology. So she set up a business called Shine Offline, which is all about educating businesses on the perils of technology, on the perils of being hyper-connected, and helps people to put healthy boundaries in place with their smartphones and their other devices. So in this episode, we talk about a bit about Laura's story. We talk about what drives burnout and the role that technology plays in that, and then how you can start to put boundaries in. What's the impact of overusing technology? We even talk about the classic phone by the bed, uses an alarm clock, and what the problems are with that. So it's a really interesting episode that I think is going to appeal to a lot of people listening because most of us have got a slightly unhealthy or dysfunctional relationship with our mobile phones. Not all of us, of course, but I think many people have, and it's affecting our sleep, it's affecting our mental health, it's affecting the relationships we have with other people, as well as, of course, the relationship we have with ourselves when we're often engrossed in whatever's on our mobile device. So I hope you enjoy this episode. You can contact Laura through shineoffline.com or through her social media links, which we'll post up in these show notes. Enjoy the episode. Here's Laura Willis. Laura, welcome to the show. It's good to see you. Hi, Leanne. How are you? Yeah, very well. You? I'm good. I'm keeping well. Yeah, good. just about surviving in this heat. My Northern Irish temperament and skin isn't very good in anything over 24 degrees, but I'm just about coping. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I hope you'll have to cope for a couple months more as of time of recording, but sorry. Okay, let's jump in. Tell me all about what your business does. Okay, so Shine Offline is all about businesses understanding the potentially negative impacts that our connected world could be having on their staff okay. at the end of the day on their business. Yep. We launched about two and a half years ago and it was on the back of my own breakdown. When I became a mom, my daughter's now five and a half, but when I became a mom, I was a self-employed PR marketing consultant and I was really successful and very busy. And I went back to work when Sadie was four months old. And I'd always had a really dysfunctional relationship with my email. For as long as I had worked and used email, I was hooked on my inbox. And when I got my smartphone, it gave me a huge amount of freedom around my work. I traveled for my work a lot and it was amazing. But the other side to that was that I could never turn it off. And when Sadie came along and I went back to work when she was four months old, quite quickly it became apparent that there were no boundaries in my life and my work-life balance just was off. And I ended up completely overloaded with information, suffering from very severe panic attacks and really bad insomnia. Mm. When I went to the GP, we spoke about mindfulness meditation because I practiced that in the past as a stress management tool and I found it really beneficial, but I'd sort of stopped doing it because I was better. So I didn't need to meditate anymore. We spoke about that briefly and he said, well, we'll get you some CBT, but in the meantime, revisit the mindfulness because the benefits are comparable to CBT. So that very night, I live in Twickenham, I went to a meditation group and I started going to that group weekly and meditating every day at home on my own. I wasn't really conscious that it was my device that was causing my stress. But when I started to have these 15, 20 minute pauses to meditate every day, that gave me a break from my phone, which is brilliant. Mm. But also I found that the mindfulness gave me much more self-awareness and clarity of mind to really recognize my thoughts and my behaviors and 
then I realized that it was my dysfunctional relationship with my phone that was causing 99% of my stress. So I started to change how I used it in my life. I spent about six months experimenting with various different things, creating more structured boundaries around how I used it at work, at home, etc. And life really did improve. Panic attacks went away, insomnia was much better. I was just in a better place. And I started to share this. I've been quite interested. I studied social psychology and I was always interested in anthropology and the study of people and behaviours. And I had always been quite interested in the digital detox piece and I'd read a bit about it and it was always on my radar. And I started to share with people what I was doing and everybody wanted to talk about this because everybody seemed to have their own struggle be it work-life balance or an impact on a relationship or just a self-esteem issue around social media usage, whatever. And more and more media coverage was coming out around celebrities giving up their devices and the impact social media has on us, etc. Burnout being at an all-time high and workplace well-being being really important. And then I essentially had a light bulb moment on a train where I was basically surrounded by people on their phones and I was a weirdo looking out the window. There's a lot of coverage around this. There seems to be a bit of research happening on the academic side of things, but nobody's actually going out and creating a space for dialogue for people to start to question the role that technology is playing in our lives. And I think we need to start to shake it up. So that's essentially what we do now. We go out into businesses and we work with teams to get them to recognise maybe the dysfunctional way they're using their tech at the moment, the negative impacts it's having on their lives, and then work to get them to a place where they can start to make some positive changes so that the technology isn't overwhelming and overloading and exhausting them, but bringing benefit to their lives. And businesses are starting to recognize that because we use technology for our work and we carry it around with us all of the time and people really can't disconnect from the office the way we did back in the day, the businesses need to take responsibility for this. Mm-hmm. It's part of a well-being package now for a lot of companies. It's becoming much more popular, but it's not only just about well-being. It's about your staff being able to focus, being able to not get pulled away every two minutes by a ping or a notification and get into a place of concentration and deep work and innovative thinking and allow themselves to have space in their days, not spend lunch time on Instagram and Facebook taste their food, relax, stretch their legs, allow their minds to be free of this information. So the businesses has definitely evolved in the past sort of six to eight months. And we're working with organizations at a cultural level and getting really, really busy. I want to improve people's lives because my life improved. And we do reporting on feedback from participants straight away after workshops, but also about a month later to see what impact the learnings had on their lives. And we are changing people's lives. People are going out and they're using what we tell them four weeks later. That you know, 85% of people are still doing what we said they should do. 74% of them are sharing it with the people in their lives. So we're having a positive impact on people. And it's fantastic. It's all good. Yeah. I want to pick up on something that you said at the start of your story, which was the burnout. How much do you think technology contributes to burnout? And how much do you think it's from the individual themselves, which is not to put any blame anywhere? I mean, as you know, I've got a burnout in my history as well. But how much do you think some of it's driven by personality, by childhood origins, by a number of other things? And how much do you think that's exasperated or how much do you think burnout is caused by technology itself? I think that burnout, the predominant reason for it is due to connectivity and the fact that you cannot get away from work. Mm. I think there is now a culture. The UK has got a bit of a reputation for this 
for this macho culture of being available and accessible all the time through your email. Yep. And I think that because it's never been spoken about, because the speed at which this technology has developed and become so intrinsic into our working lives, people are too busy to stop and reflect on the negative impact that it's having. So I speak to people all the time who will reflect on the lack of work-life balance they have, working mothers saying to me, oh yeah, I only work till three o'clock because I pick my kids up from school. And then my daughter will say to me, you know, mommy, get off your phone and it's terrible. And I'm thinking, and you recognize that that's not a good way to be, to exist for yourself and for your family and for your career. You can make a change, but people are so far gone in this way of living that they're just not getting the chance or the space or the pause to stop. Mm. And also, in a lot of cases, they aren't getting the support from their employer. There's a fear amongst businesses, if we want to be the most competitive within our sector, we've got to be contactable 24-7. We've got to respond to clients straight away. There can be no pause or space. Mm. My side of the argument is no. In order to be a business for the future, an innovative forward-thinking business, you need creative thinking. You need really good client management, relationship building. You need deep, deep, concentrated work and focus. You need all the things that you get when you have a healthy relationship with your device. And heads are turning in workshops because senior leaders are joining the room and recognizing that they have incredibly dysfunctional relationships with their devices, which because they're at the top of their game and they're responsible for the organization, they think that that's part and parcel of earning a big wage and being a leader. It's not until we start this dialogue that they go, God, I've got no life outside this place because I never come away from it. There is a different way to do things. And burnout, I would say the predominant reason for it is because people simply can't disconnect. Like I've had people from the legal sector say to me, all I want to do is meet my friend for dinner for one hour after work. Mm. And I can't even do that. Yeah, I've I've heard that as well. I think the legal sector has got a real issue with overwork and hyperconnectivity. I've worked with and know lots of lawyers who'll come home and then they'll carry on working till half 10. They'll be checking messages all hours of the day. And it's a form of presenteeism, isn't it? It used to be that you'd get in and put your coat around the chair and then who knows what you were doing for the rest of the working day. But you were present. Your coat was there. Oh, so-and-so's in. They're always first in, last out. And I think that it's slightly different, but it's the constant availability on email. It's the same thing. You're always present. Yeah. Always having to you know, reply to things, check things. And on the flip side of that is leaveism, where people are working when they should be on leave. And there's a big problem with that. And there's a Chartered Institute of Personal and Development study that found that 86% of companies noticed presenteeism. And one in four companies that were surveyed noticed leaveism as well, but weren't doing very much about it. What's leaveism? Leaveism is when you're working when you should be on leave. So oh, right. checking email. I remember being on a boat once next to a woman on a yacht. It was a boat out in the Mediterranean somewhere, one of these pleasure cruises for the day. And she got on her phone and started organizing a conference. And I said to her at the end of the call, I've come exactly to get away from that, you know. And she had a family and kids, and I'm not passing judgment on that. But, you know, you're on holiday, and that's leaveism. That's it, exactly. And I've never heard that word, so thanks for sharing. Because there's another stat that we talk about as well. The Chartered Institute of Management carried out research a couple of years ago. They found that 80% of managers were spending so much time on work email out of office hours that they were effectively cancelling out their annual leave. Yeah. Because when they totaled it all up, it came up to about 29 days on the commute. Yeah, in the evening. crazy, isn't it? So people literally aren't getting the break from work. What surprises me, I don't know if you've noticed this, is how okay people are with it. 
because you and I have carved out a new, if you like, a new sort of career for ourselves on our terms. And I'm not okay with doing anything after seven o'clock, really. Mm. The idea of getting in at half eight and that not being too bad fills me with horror. I'm home about, you know, well, pretty early. But then I have quite a blended life as an entrepreneur. You know, I'll work maybe a few hours a weekend and a few less in the week. It's blended. But I'm very happy with the number of hours that I'm doing. And people seem to be all right with checking email or it's just a couple of emails or I'm just going to do two hours on a Sunday or even I've heard of people booking holidays that end on a Saturday so they can do their inbox on Sunday before going back to work on Monday. And there doesn't seem to be a big furore about this with some people. So our new normal has changed, hasn't it, about what's acceptable and what isn't. But I think that it's acceptable because people aren't informed about the impact that that has in the long yes. term. Yes. You know, it might feel like you're doing it to keep on top of your work. But what are you missing out on as a result? And, and that's what we do. We go in and we actually, we give people, it's, it's about making informed choices in your lives. Yeah. And really thinking about your behavior and coming off that autopilot of expectation yeah. around how it's used. I was speaking this morning at an inner circle for legal and there was a Q&A at the end and London HR representatives of American law firms. And the question was around the time zone issue. And the lady said, you know, our partners are in America and clients in America, all the rest of it. How do you get around that time zone issue? And we're getting a lot of traction in professional services now because they're the people who could never get away from the jobs. And now they can't even get away even worse because they literally can't get away. Hmm. And I said, you know, I get that because that has been that culture of overwork and clocking up lots of hours has always been central to law, that this is now kind of part and parcel of it. And that maybe it feels quite difficult, especially if you're working within different time zones to get that balance. I believe that it's going to get to a point where things like the legal services are going to need to have RUDA in place, Hmm. whereby Jim is on call on the Monday, John's on call on the Tuesday, so that somebody within that team is responsible for doing that check-in with whoever, Singapore or San Fran or whatever. But even if the time zone out of hours email thing feels like a step too far, there's still an awful lot that can be done. You know, you can still look at how you spend your break times at work, you know, making sure that you don't spend every break time in front of your phone, that you actually get the chance to have a proper break. You can use your commute in a more mindful, conscious way. You can make sure that your personal time isn't sucked in, that you can create some boundaries for yourself. Mm. That whenever you're at work, your smartphone isn't on your desk and your inbox isn't open constantly so that the ping of the notifications coming from every direction aren't constantly distracting and overwhelming you. Yeah. So there are things that can be done. And I think those little baby steps, if businesses start to experiment with those and see the benefit of doing those things, then they'll get to a point where they're going to go, right, we actually really need to get a handle on this out of ours working culture. And I want to come back to the impact on people because I think that's a really crucial point. But what do you think about the idea, Simon Sinek propagates this idea of, of us becoming so addicted to our devices that every time we get a bing, ding or whir, we get a hit of dopamine. Oh, yeah. Who is it? You know, I, I think that's true. I have to work, rally against that for myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we talk about this all the time. And I now have a very healthy relationship with my smartphone, basically because I took everything off my smartphone. Right. So I don't have email on my phone. I don't have social media. I don't really use social media anymore. So you've literally gone back to the old style of my favorite phone was a Nokia, the long, tall, slim Nokia. Well, no, no, I still have a smartphone, but I only use it really for WhatsApp, texting, and calls and maybe the old Google search and a Google map. That's it. Yeah. My issue now is with my inbox. And it always was. So I feel like I'm living back in 
98 or 1999, whenever I first started using email at work and got that very, very physical reaction with adrenaline. And I could feel it all going off in my body when I opened my inbox, the pleasure of it, and yet the anxiety that it would cause. And and I still have that now. And I know we talk a lot about the dopamine. And, you know, this has been proven scientifically that dopamine is released whenever we engage in all our activity and experience myself. I know that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I can feel it happening in my body. So there is a validation loop. There is a seduction. There's an addictive aspect. What do you mean by validation loop? Talk us through those concepts. Well, say the validation, the loop that you get yourself into every time you say hit the envelope to get more emails coming in and more come in the validation that that gives you to do that behavior again because you're getting rewarded for it every time yeah and then that validation loop that you get on social media usage where you put up a post of something and people like it or comment on it and that makes you feel really good so you want to do it again so you get yourself into this cycle because it's dopamine Mm. and there's so much psychology behind it and it's real and people you know we've workshop probably now with about four and a half thousand people and I stand, me and Matilda, our other facilitator, you know, we stand in front of rooms of people and you can see them all going, oh my God, because they haven't thought about this stuff, but it resonates so strongly and the light bulbs go off. And whenever we ask people to give us uh, written feedback at the end of the session, you know, time and time again, thank you for giving me the chance to pause and spend an hour and a half thinking about this stuff because this is having a negative impact on my life. Mm. People are drowning in a sea of emails and notifications and Facebook makes people feel crap and yet they can't come off it. And that's because it's habitual and it's addictive and it's seductive. And I think culturally there is an expectation, particularly if you've been one of those people that responds, it's quite difficult to break. But culturally we do expect people to be present. We do expect a reply fairly quickly on an email. I mean, I do workshops. I use this comparison. I say to people, you know, because a lot of people are sitting there listening to me and they may have a pad open there where they're taking notes. And I'll say, you know, oh, that book you just mentioned, can I just take your pad there? And I'll, I'll pretend to write a to-do for them, you know, send Leanne book title or something and hand it back and say, you know, if I was to do that, you'd be pretty miffed because I've added something to your to-do list. But if I send you an email asking you to do the same thing, we tend to be much more tolerant of that. But yet we've just added to somebody's to-do list by adding an email. Yeah, I don't know if you agree with that, but. Yeah, funny, I had a conversation this morning with somebody else at that law circle where they talked about a member of the senior management who starts work very early in the morning. So colleagues can turn their inboxes on at, say, half eight or whatever time, and they might have 20 emails from him. And what he's doing is he's taking that workload out of his own head. He doesn't want people to respond, but he's just getting it off his own plate and pushing it onto everybody else's. Mm. But A, you know, he's sending... 20 separate emails to one person yeah. where he could go up and have a 20 minute conversation with them. And I think it's the Royal Bank of Scotland who we've met in the past. They've got a three email rule where if I email you and you email me back, I'm not allowed to email you again. Really? Yeah. Okay. So that keeps the discussion very, very short and compact. And it also encourages conversation because, you know, there's been a lot of talk and writing around the lost art of conversation and the need for us to have vulnerability and intimacy with face-to-face mm. and the importance of that in developing really strong relationships mm. and the importance of strong relationships both internally and externally at work and the fact that people want to edit what they're saying, they want to take the control, they want to hide behind the screen and that's just taken away from our humanness and our need to connect on that very 
raw level. Yeah. But people aren't thinking about this. They're just doing what they do because the tech was given to them. And it's very easy to just fire off a message or whatever and not thinking about the consequences of their behaviors. So I'm all about stop. Think about your behavior. Is it the right appropriate thing to do? Well, far ahead. Is it not? Well, then stop. What can we do instead? And how can we make this better for ourselves? So how do you help people put boundaries in place with their tech? Let's talk about smartphone in particular. What would you recommend to anyone listening who thinks they've got an issue with the amount of times they look at their phone? On an individual level, it's all about making small behavioural changes. So one of the most simple things that we talk about is the fact that 80% of people use a phone as their alarm clock. So what that means is that if you're settling down for the night, and you and I have spoken about this, the rituals of sleep, you know, the steps, you're settling down for the night and you're setting your alarm and you think, oh, well, just this is habitual for a lot of people. They have a last check before they go to sleep. So they're in their B2C news feeds and their work email and their personal email and their Facebook and their Instagram. And then they're setting their phone down on their bedside table to close their eyes for the night. But what is that doing? Well, the blue screen has an impact on the ability to produce melatonin and that's been scientifically proven. But that aside, it's the overstimulation of your mind. Yeah. You've just looked at maybe tragic news on BBC or sports results, which get you really excited. You've looked at your inbox and you've seen something that's quite stressful that you're going to have to deal with tomorrow. You've maybe had a wee look at your ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend's Facebook feed. <laughs> yeah. What does that do? Then the phone is beside us in the middle of the night. One in three of us are checking for messages in the middle of the night. That's researched by Deloitte. And then the next morning, 10 to 7, the alarm goes off. And you haven't put your toe on the floor and you're in all those apps again. Yeah. You know, these things don't necessarily put us in a good mood. So if on reflection, yes, actually, that makes me feel stressed. You know, I've had senior leaders, women in senior level of business who have young children coming up to me at the end of workshops and saying, it's only now that I understand why I shout at my kids in the morning. Mm. It's not because they're doing my head in because they're taking too long to get ready and they've lost their shoes or whatever else. It's because I'm distracted on my phone Mm. by work. I need to create boundaries. Yeah. But people aren't thinking about that because it's just, that's what you do. You check your email when you wake up in the morning. Well, I think you've touched on another important issue, which is that blue frequency of light, which is emitted by these devices, which suppresses melatonin, which means that we fall asleep later and maybe don't get such deep and restorative sleep. So we wake up and we're ratty. Then you open your email and you think, oh, geez, what's that? You know? Yeah. And it just compounds the whole issue. Yeah. The other thing is, I don't know how much you go into this in your workshops, but we don't really know the harmful effects of taking a smartphone near our heads. So I do use mine as an alarm clock. I also put it on flight mode at around 9 or 10 p.m. at night. So it isn't emitting, it isn't looking for a Bluetooth or a Wi-Fi signal. Now, Dr. Joseph McCullough is a renowned physician in the U.S. I don't have his source, so take this with a pinch of salt if you will, but he's a very renowned physician. And he said, as soon as you remove a mobile device one foot away from your head, you eliminate about 80% of the harmful EMFs that it emits. So it's an interesting number. It's an interesting idea. You know, we don't really know the effects of having those things near our heads whilst we're sleeping. One thing I do know is that Apple, buried somewhere in the settings, do... You showed me this. I I did indeed, yeah. It says this device is not designed to be used near the body, near our head. It's amazing. And that's what Apple say. Yeah, and that's hidden. deep. Yeah, buried deep in the settings. So yeah. I can perhaps send an attachment that we can link to in the show notes on that. But on another issue, you know, what do you think of apps like Moment that help track our mobile phone usage? Well, we talk about these a lot in our workshop. There are apps you can download to your phone to help you improve your relationship with your phone. And this is the point at the workshop where everybody starts writing down because it's a physical thing they can put in their device. It's going to help them get a better handle on it. 
I don't personally use them. Anna, my business partner, does, and she finds, and Matilda uses forest, which is one that's it's like a game where they plant trees and you get a forest and you're rewarded for basically being offline. Yeah. I don't personally use them, but Google and Apple, both in the past six weeks, I'm sure you've read about this, have announced digital wellbeing features on their new devices where they've basically taken all these ideas that these app developers have been coming up with over the past 10 years to help us have a better handle on our smartphone usage and they've embedded them into the new devices i think there's great value if you have a sense that maybe you're using your phone too much and you want to maybe improve it having some tracking on it means that you can then have a baseline to improve from. and also the apps that you basically use to shut the phone down so that you can really focus because maybe you don't have the self-control yourself to do it yeah again really good on email i have catherine Price, who wrote How to Break Up With Your Phone, which came out earlier in the year. We had a brilliant Skype call. She's in Philadelphia. The great Skype call a couple of weeks ago, and she was talking about email is her big thing. She was saying that there are certain features you can put on your inbox to manage the flow of your email. I basically just use offline to have a break from my email. But I think if you can get the technology to work for you to help create those boundaries, then yeah, work away. Yeah. And a couple of other questions before we wrap up, actually, or maybe this will be the last one, but I imagine you encounter a lot of resistance from certain types of people or certain people. How do you get around that? Because I know when we first met, you told me about a story, of, you know, where people come around to your way of thinking. What do you do when you get sort of resistance around this? That resistance is actually starting to go. And I don't know if that's to do with the confidence in the delivery, because hmm. we now have the proof yeah. to back up what we're saying because of the amount of delivery and the success that we're having. We were told professional services wouldn't look at us, but it wasn't professional services who ever said that. It was other people who were commenting. We're actually getting loads of traction from finance and law and insurance. I find most resistance is when it's not a, you can come to this session if you want to. It's when people are made to come into a session. So it's a sales team who all have to come in or a group of, say, the senior management team. You'll always get one or two who will sit with... Generally men, that's just my experience to date, who will sit with their arms folded looking at you like you've lost the plot. When that happens, you know, either that person has a very healthy relationship with their device and they don't understand what the problem or the fuss is, or the issue they have is so dysfunctional that they're just not in a place to be able to deal with it. Mm. And when that happens, you know, this isn't a judgment. You must do this. You must do that. We're all in this together. This technology is incredible. And it's revolutionized the world and it's revolutionized our lives. But we all know that getting a sense of balance around how you use it can be really tricky. Granted, there are people out there who have an awful lot of self-control and maybe don't rely on it in the same way. And if that's your position, super duper. If Mm. you're a very, very cool character and looking at your work email when you're still lying in bed on a Monday morning doesn't stress you out. I wish I had your temperament. But the resistance, to be honest, Leanne, it's not there in the way it was. That's good. I think Google and Apple making those announcements recently, yeah. there's been a lot of media coverage around ex-Silicon Valley people coming out to say this stuff is really manipulative and seductive and yeah. the general public make informed choices when they're using it. And because the well-being of work coverage is so strong now, everybody knows that technology causes problems. So yeah. we're in a fortunate position now that we're sort of riding a wave of positivity. Yeah. And 
it's so at the moment it's going all going really well yeah well terrific it's very good work that you do just to finish off give me three benefits that implementing discipline and boundaries around tech has given you it's definitely improved my focus and my ability to think in a creative way mm-hmm. I would have felt overloaded and I would have suffered from very severe panic attacks before now because I've got these boundaries in place like I will have long periods where I will not be on any technology where I'll maybe be having breaks and there are the times where I'm having light bulb moments where I'm starting to think outside the box and being able to really strategize which I could never have done before my relationships have improved my professional relationships are really really strong because I am very conscious of being offline whenever I'm connecting with somebody face to face. And it means that I'm very present with them. And so I get a lot out of the meeting, but also in my personal life. I've got two kids now and my mindfulness practice also helps me with being present with them. But the richness of the quality of time that I have with my family is really, really there. And I know that if I was distracted by my phone, it wouldn't be. And probably my sleep isn't always great. And part of that's to do with being a mom and all sorts of things. But I think that my sleep is definitely better because my phone is not on my bedside table. So when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm not checking it. The temptation literally isn't there. So those are three big ones that spring to mind. Yeah, they're huge ones. All right. Brilliant. I'm going to link to your website, but give us the URL now. It's shineoffline.com. Shineoffline.com. Brilliant. We'll link to that. We'll also link to all your social media in the show notes. What would be the one very quick message you'd leave people with if they're slightly ambiguous about whether they have a problem with their phone or not? I would say bring a bit of curiosity to your relationship with it. Maybe try a little experiment. If you're the sort of person, I'm talking about your personal life here, but work can be bombarding your personal life. Say you sit on the sofa every evening with your other half and you both watch something, but you're both on your devices at the same time. Well, A, what are you looking at? Is it Facebook? Is it working email? What impact is what you're seeing having on you? But also what impact is that technology having on that moment and the intimacy and the development of your relationship together? So try maybe watching a movie and putting the phone on flight mode into the kitchen. Just do it and see what happens. Does it feel good? Does it feel weird? I say bring some curiosity to this because we as human beings, we're not made to deal with the amount of connectivity and information that we have to process now. And that's fact. So play about with it and bring some curiosity to it. And I would guarantee 99.9% of people out there will feel a benefit if they start to just get some pause and space back in their days. Yeah, fantastic. Well, there you are. That's the challenge set. Anyone listening who tries that, let us know how you're getting on. Let Laura know. We'll contact both of us. Okay, Laura, thank you very much. Thanks, Leanne. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, bodyshopperformance.com and click on Take the Test. And it'll take you through to a very short two to three minute health IQ test. At the end of that, you'll get a scorecard based on your results and a free 39 page report built all around our six signals, which are sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. So jump on the website, bodyshopperformance.com and take our test. Finally, thanks for listening to this show. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard and it's added value to you, share the episode with someone who you think could benefit from it. And don't forget to leave a rating, a review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.